The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with change makers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone to discuss an 1849 law in Wisconsin that criminalizes abortion. Dr. Kristen Lyerly is a Wisconsin doctor and a member of the Committee to Protect Healthcare's Reproductive Freedom Task Force. As an OBGYN, she is on the ground and knows all about it. So let's break it down. Thank you so much for being here. We don't talk Good enough about morning. what's going on in Wisconsin. Well, I know people don't think about us because we're in the middle of the country and, you know, we're kind of laid back and quiet. But Wisconsin is a very interesting place to be right now. And so, I just can't wait to share all about it with you this morning. So so <laughs> tell us what is happening post Dobbs. I mean, I feel like we don't we don't talk about Wisconsin, maybe because in our brains, it's like, it's a blue, bluish state. Like it's, it's not Texas. So we're not sure what's going on. So tell us what's going on. We're super purple and we always have been very purple. And that's what makes it so intriguing because when you think about Texas or Oklahoma or South Dakota, it's they're red. So they're kind of, you know, living in their own reality, but here in Wisconsin, things could change and they should change, but we'll get to that. So after Dobbs happened here, things weren't all that great with regards to abortion rights here in Wisconsin. We had a lot of restrictions, a 20-week abortion ban, uh, lots of restrictions on medication abortion. You had to have two visits with the same provider. We only had four abortion clinics in the entire state. It's a pretty big state, and all the clinics were located in the southern part of the state. So people would have to travel for three or four hours in each direction twice in order to receive the services that they needed. So things weren't great before Dobbs, but after Dobbs, everything changed. Wisconsin has an 1849 criminal abortion ban on the books that was never repealed. And we don't believe it's enforceable, but because it's a criminal ban and it carries felony charges for a physician who were to provide an abortion, there's a lot of fear and confusion about this ban. So we are currently operating as if the ban is in effect. The DAs have not told us across the state whether they're going to enforce it. And that puts a lot of strain on OBGYNs, on emergency medicine docs, on family medicine docs, anybody who delivers health care for women. Because abortion is not this isolated thing that lives on its own planet. It is deeply integrated within women's health care, from contraception to fertility treatment to complicated pregnancies to menopause management. So this is a really deep issue that we are looking for a good resolution with the attorney general's lawsuit that was filed soon after Dobbs. Can you dig in deeper to the point that you just made? Because, you know, we, we probably hear it in, you know, politicians' rhetoric about abortion as health care, or I'll say that in the morning. But I think having an actual doctor on an OBGYN 
um, unpack that for us. Why is it that we should say, and as you said, abortion is healthcare and a part of the full spectrum of care that people need um, around re reproduction? Yeah, so we have such a limited understanding unless we have personally received a certain type of healthcare, we have a limited understanding of what the full scope is. So you're right, I have a really different perspective than the average person. Although one in four women in this country, Zerlina, will have an mm -hmm. abortion in her lifetime. And I think that's really important for people to know. But, you know, if you've heard of an ectopic pregnancy, that is a pregnancy that implants and develops outside of the uterus where it can't survive. Well, technically, when we treat an ectopic pregnancy, which has cardiac motion, technically that's an abortion. A miscarriage, when, a, when a, an early pregnancy or a late pregnancy just spontaneously fails to thrive and dies, that's a spontaneous abortion. That's the medical term for it. So when we manage a, a miscarriage, that technically is an abortion. When someone has a serious health problem like preeclampsia, these health problems are continuing to uh, manifest. We're seeing more and more of these, you know, chronic health issues. When someone has a problem like this at say 21, 22 weeks, before the baby can survive outside of her body, it, the only way to solve this problem is to deliver the baby, knowing that that baby won't survive. That's an abortion. But if we don't do it, we can't save her life either. So then we have two lives lost. There are so many other examples. Um, you know, a fetus, well, this happened here in Wisconsin, actually after Dobbs. A patient was diagnosed at about 12 weeks of pregnancy. Her, her fetus didn't have a brain. This is not unusual. It's called anencephaly. Obviously, a, a baby can't live outside of the mother's body without a brain. And it's much safer to perform an abortion early in pregnancy than it is for her to carry that pregnancy to term and deliver. But that's an option for her if she chooses. Most people will choose to have an abortion. But in this person's case, by the time that we were able to counsel her, coordinate a visit, find a time for her at a clinic in Illinois, because they are so busy taking care of people from all across the country, three additional weeks had passed and she wasn't able to receive the care that she needed and deserved until she was 15 weeks pregnant. And the risks go up as the pregnancy goes on. So it's so unfair and it's expensive and it's emotionally grueling for these people. Thank you for that explanation, because I think that as you cite all of those examples, I think people, they probably, they definitely know somebody who has suffered a miscarriage. Um, they may not realize they know somebody who had preeclampsia, but Beyonce has cited that <laughs> she had preeclampsia. Um, yes. And, and often we, we don't realize that we probably do know somebody who, ha or know somebody know somebody who knows somebody that has dealt with an atopic pregnancy, not as common as the other two. Um, but I think that when you, when you lay it out that way, it feels like you're basically just putting doctors in a position when, when you have a criminal statute like this on the books where they're operating from a position of fear as opposed to, you know, what the best care is for the patient given the, the circumstances, right? I mean, it, what are the risks associated with somebody dealing with any of these three three examples where oh. the doctor can't act as quickly as possible 
Yeah. I mean, ectopic pregnancy is the number one reason that women die in early pregnancy. There is, there is no, I can't tell you a documented situation where someone with an ectopic has gone on and had a viable pregnancy. I mean, all it causes is death and destruction. And for people dealing with these complicated pregnancy related or just gynecological issues, these are not the kinds of issues where they're shouting it from the hilltops because they want everybody to know. You know, even things like if you're diagnosed with a cancer, Many people are very, this is personal health information. So you're not sharing that information widely. But when it's a reproductive health issue, it's that much harder to share your story, even with your closest friends. And that speaks to something else that you just mentioned in your last segment, which is men. Mm. I can't tell you the number of men mm -hmm. who have approached me, like men in their 30s, 40s, 50s, to tell me their abortion stories about their partner or their sister or someone in their life that they loved that affected them deeply and they think about every single day, but they don't feel like they can share it because it's not their story, even though it's impacted them greatly. This is a really important point. I, I, I talk about it all the time and I, I was smiled when I saw the picture of the second gentleman because I had been discussing on the show yesterday that we need more men to engage in this conversation. It can't just be a woman's march. It has to be a march of an intersectional march where everybody is present because it's everybody's issue. Um, and I feel like by doing that, we have a, a greater chance of success in terms of changing um, the laws around this. So tell us about the lawsuit. Um, we, you mentioned the 1849 law, which is completely insane that there's a law in the books from 1849 that is affecting people's behavior today. That's nuts, mm -hmm. right? Just, just yeah. full stop. Um, but tell us about the lawsuit and the goal of the lawsuit. Like what outcome are you hoping for in the lawsuit? How will it impact the status quo post Dobbs? It repeal. It's just that simple. We want the lawsuit repeal or we want mm -hmm. the, the old statute repealed. And can I just remind yep. you that Wisconsin became a state in 1848. So this law is one year younger <laughs> than the actual state of Wisconsin. Wow. Yeah. And 70 years before women earned the right to vote in this country, we didn't even wash our hands when we took care of patients. We didn't even know about germs. I mean, that's how old this law is. It clearly doesn't apply. And it didn't apply during the entire time that Roe was in effect. So we've got all these other laws that we passed in the meantime, like this 20-week abortion ban and all of these other trap laws that that really superseded this law. We don't believe that this law is viable, but it is so ugly and so dangerous and so confusing that we have to act as if it's in effect. So um, ultimately, we would just like to see it repealed. There is a lot of talk from Republican lawmakers. Oh, I should mention, this law has no exceptions for rape, no exceptions for incest, and no exceptions for the health of the mother. The only exception is for the life of the mother. So we are left wondering, would the DA, who has no medical training in my county, agree that the life of the mother was sufficiently in danger in order for me to act? And I think that with a politically motivated 
DA, you could really end up in trouble, whether it goes through or not. We all saw what happened to Caitlin Bernard, the OBGYN doctor in Indiana, when the attorney general from Ohio, from Indiana went after her for taking care of the 10-year-old rape victim from Ohio. She did everything right, but he just found this arbitrary reason that she didn't actually break a law or even come close to that, but he just wanted to be punitive. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're worried about here. So ultimately, we want this law repealed. We do not believe that exceptions for rape and incest will make a difference. They're not meaningful. As a sexual assault survivor, you know that it is hard for people who have been through those traumatic situations to come forward, especially in any sort of a timely manner, right. because the pregnancy is changing. You know, you're getting more and more further and further along as time goes by. Mm -hmm. You don't have time. So those exceptions are not meaningful when it comes to actually taking care of my patients. And that is just something that the governor has said he won't compromise on. And I am so pleased that he has taken that stance. It's such an important point about um, exceptions not meaning anything. I feel like we too often in the mainstream media, um, we cover only sort of the headline, sort of the surface level. We'll say, mm -hmm. you know, in this state, there's a, 20 week ban or in this state there's a six week ban and I'm like okay the amount of weeks um is not important like mm -mm. in the supreme court case yes there's analysis about um the amount of weeks and all viability there is that discussion yes that is that is what the supreme court before Dobbs was talking about but in the real world we should not be <laughs> talking about exceptions as if they have any meaning because of the reason you just said number one People are traumatized, and so they're not likely to just come forward immediately and be like, I was sexually assaulted. The police are going to take them seriously, and then they'll be able to seek out abortion care. Um, and that's just not – that's not – we're not in an episode of Law & Order SVU. It doesn't even happen that way on Law <laughs> right. Order SVU, but we don't, we, we're not in, in a crime procedural. Like, it's not happening in any, um, you know – organized fashion um, because mm -hmm. of the trauma we're dealing with. Um, do you think that we need to just – focus on the idea that because for me this is about bodily autonomy this is why after mm -hmm. i survived sexual assault i became rather militant on the issue of abortion i was always pro-choice but now it's like that's that's a deal breaker for me like you're either for bodily autonomy or you're not you're for my ability and anyone's ability to control what happens to their bodies or you are not there there's like a very very firm line i mean do you as an OBGYN, do you also see it that way because i feel like you know, if we just talk about bodily autonomy and that idea, instead of talking about however many weeks a ban is, you know, is 12 better than 14? Is that better than six? Like, I feel like that's a big distraction. <laughs> Yeah, there are so many big distractions. And it's really hard for the general public to grasp so many of these issues because they get complicated. So they hold on to those little things like 15 weeks seems reasonable. Well, this isn't right. an accounting class. Right. This is an actual person's life. And 15 weeks is very different than six weeks, which is very different than 24 weeks. And that happens. So I think to your point about bodily autonomy, everybody is for bodily autonomy when you're talking about yourself. But it's when you're talking about other people that you want to control in a political mm -hmm. manner, that that's mm -hmm. when you see the kinds of behaviors that we're seeing right now. And another really important point is 
when you hear it's so common to hear Republican pundits say abortion up until the time of birth, abortion up until up until the time of birth. We know that Democrats want to kill babies right before the time that they're born. And that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, because nobody does that after viability you have a viable, potentially viable infant there. And there is a time like right around 23, 24 weeks, depending on what's going on with mom, what's going on with baby, where viability can be really touchy. And that's when we bring together teams of doctors, high-risk pregnancy doctors, social workers, faith leaders, friends, family, and people are making very complicated decisions. But after that, if you're doing an abortion at 26 weeks or 28 weeks, there's something going on. So when I hear about like a born alive abortion ban, that is one of the most insulting, disgusting things I can ever imagine. These people are suffering. Their baby most likely has a problem. And all they want to do is give their baby a meaningful life in that short period of time that their baby is going to be there with them. So most people would choose palliative care in these situations. They would want to have that baby, wrap the baby up, and hold the baby until the baby passes away or just feed the baby and take care of the baby. You know, the baby may survive for hours, it may be days, but you generally have a pretty good idea of what's going on. And I can give an example of this. I delivered a woman who was 32 weeks pregnant who had a baby that had this kidney issue where we know that it's this baby would never survive. But she came from a very unique culture where we knew she was going to want to have more babies down the road. And we knew that this was a very culturally sensitive situation. And we were going to have to make sure that she and her family were able to manage it in a way that best fit into their childbearing plan. And so we delivered her at 32 weeks and her baby died in her arms a few hours later And we all got to go and spend some time with them and meet him. And it was, it was beautiful. It was as beautiful as it possibly could have been. The worst thing we could have done is take that baby away, poke him with needles for IVs, put a breathing tube down his throat, knowing that he was never going to survive. Why would we torture that baby and torture that family? It doesn't make any sense at all. So this is insulting. And every time I hear a Republican politician talk Mm -hmm. about abortion up until the time of birth, it just makes me so angry. It makes me angry, too, especially because when they do it, nobody is like, wait, so you're saying that what Democrats support is murder, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and no Democrat out there is saying anything of the sort. And as you just said, those situations are gut wrenching. Right. When mm-hmm. you're where when you are in um, a moment that late in your pregnancy where there is a complication. And I feel like we we don't talk enough about those specific situations. So I'm glad that you mentioned that in terms of the state leadership, mm-hmm. what is happening? So you're you sued to repeal this law. But what else can be done, perhaps on the legislative side, in your view, um, to protect the rights of the people who can get pregnant in Wisconsin, given the fact that this is the lay of the land now for each state sort of has to figure it out post-ops. 
this is the beauty of it because there is something we can do. So we really fought hard for fair maps. Wisconsin has been grossly gerrymandered since 2011. We elected Governor Tony Evers by, he won 51 to 48% in the last gubernatorial race, but Republicans control nearly two thirds of the legislative seats. So tell me how that works out. (laughs) So, and part of it is because we're so gerrymandered and so people are demoralized. They don't want to run for office. Where I live in the 8th Congressional District, over half of the seats in the last two cycles didn't even have a serious Democratic challenger because the deck is stacked so profoundly against them that it just it's too painful. And the Republicans are they're mean. They're evil. They harm your reputation. And people are nice around here and neighborly. So we're going to change that. We're organizing. But I think the most important thing that we can do is really focus on the upcoming Supreme Court race. We have a primary coming up in February on the 21st, and we have a general coming up in April on the 4th. We've got four candidates running for one seat. And this seat will tip the balance, could potentially tip the balance of the Supreme Court toward the will of the people. Because the people have no other way to speak here in Wisconsin. We don't have the option of a ballot initiative like Kansas and South Dakota. Mm -hmm. The legislature is the only body that can put a ballot initiative out there. And they're not going to do that because they're controlled by the Republicans. So if we focus on the state Supreme Court seat and we choose candidates, we choose people who really are there for the people, that will make a huge difference. Of the four candidates, two are proud conservatives. If you look at their websites, they clearly state, we are conservatives. We want to bring it back home for the conservatives. I mean, it's like they're a, they're a commercial for conservatives. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, interestingly, they both went to law school at Regent Law, which you are probably familiar yep. with. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The former name of Regent Law was the Christian Broadcast Network University founded by Pat Robertson. This is a university that is um, not well known, not well respected, and obviously has a serious bias towards conservatism. So the other two candidates are actually really bright, very people focused. One is in uh, juvenile court, one is in family court, long histories of public service, Uh, really just the potential is fantastic. So if we get the right candidate elected and we can tip the balance of the Supreme Court, not only is the 1849 law in play, but our voting lines are in play. So we could solve this gerrymandering problem if we can get people out to vote. It's such an important point. And I feel like, um, you know, oftentimes we feel like these problems are insurmountable, but the right organization at the right time um, can change things. Is there, I mean, I assume that there is a network, a group chat of OBGYNs. What are you, what are you talking, what's on your radar um, even outside of Wisconsin? Is there anything that we need to be um, paying attention to that perhaps the mainstream media is ignoring that other doctors that you're in conversation with are talking about? Because I feel like you guys are the canary in the coal mine, if you will, you're on the front lines and you're the ones that are on the phone with lawyers trying to figure out if you can give people care. So we don't hear about the horror stories until after the fact in the press. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So what what is the topic of discussion in terms of some of the worst parts of the country that are dealing with the post-obs realities and what 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 is coming down the pike even? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's ugly. So it's important to know that doctors are not politically active as a group. We are just, it's not in our nature and we just don't want to deal with it. We just want to take care of our patients. So those of us who are politically active are incensed and it's not just OBGYNs. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much everybody. I mean, there is a neurologist here in Wisconsin who is deeply involved in this women's health issue and so much respect for her. She hardly ever sees pregnant patients, but she recognizes that this is not a women's issue. This is a healthcare issue. Um, Across the country, I am deeply involved in other states like South Dakota, North Dakota, Nebraska. So Nebraska just introduced a heartbeat ban. South Dakota, there's been a lot of anti-trans legislation. And in fact, a South Dakota legislator demanded that the University of South Dakota fire their one infertility doctor because he also delivers uh, appropriate um, trans care to our to our trans population, our gender affirming care. So a, a legislator is demanding that a doctor be fired for taking care of his patient in South Dakota. That's what's coming down the pike. Oh, geez. Okay. I had not, uh-huh. I, that wasn't one that was on my, my bingo card. Like I didn't realize that we were going there, but that's where we are. So um, I really appreciate you for this conversation this morning. I feel like I didn't know there was an 1849 law until I, I researched obviously for in ahead of this conversation. And I was like, how is there a law from 1849 on the books that people are talking about in 2023? And why, like, why would we, we be talking about an 1849 law? Like it's relevant. <laughs> to our modern day um, not. lives and you know it really shouldn't be and and so I'm glad that we had this conversation so it's on everyone's radar they can get activated how how can they help what should they do Boy, that is a great question. You know, pay attention to what's happening with the Supreme Court race, um, especially after the primary. Before the primary, everybody's kind of, you know, just waiting to see what shakes out. Although it is possible that two conservatives could end up on that general election ballot. So uh, pay attention to the Supreme Court race. You can always donate to the candidate of your choice. And then after the Supreme Court race, it is going to be on. So keep your eye on Wisconsin because we can make a difference here. Really, really important Dr. Kristen Lyerly, thank you so much for being here this morning, a member of the Committee to Protect Healthcare's Reproductive Freedom Task Force, also um, somebody who provides care in Wisconsin, OBGYN, an expert on this issue and what's actually happening, not just the political rhetoric. I really appreciate you for taking the time this morning. Please stay safe. Oh, thank you so much, Zerlina, for this and everything you do. Your voice is so important. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.